0: Hey everybody, welcome to 20Q, 20 questions with interesting people from the LGBT community and friends. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time our guest is Raconteuse, Bon Vivant, woman about town, filmmaker, writer and producer. Stephanie Sellers, whose latest project, Lust, Life, Love, explores the sex-positive world of polyamorous relationships. Stephanie is our guest today, and I'm going to start today right now with the first question, a bit about your background. Where are you originally from, and what was it like?
1: Hi, thanks for having me on the show, Tim. Uh, I uh, grew up in New Jersey, um, but very close to New York City, so... You know, I feel like I'm like a native New Yorker because I've been coming to New York City since I was very, very young.
0: Oh, very cool. I'm originally from Long Island myself and I've been living here for over 30 years with my husband and uh, we're fellow New Yorkers. Uh, I would like to go to my next question, uh, bringing me to the theme, I guess, is uh, which life experience had the greatest impact on you?
1: Uh, like as a child or as an adult, <laughs> it's hard to narrow it down to one life experience.
0: OK, so let's say as an adult.
1: OK. Probably. Probably what I'm going through right now, um, separation and divorce.
0: <laughs> really. Yeah, wow, OK. Uh, understood. Uh, know someone who's doing that right now as well, and uh, it's a, it's a very difficult. Yeah,
1: to- I mean it. It it's forcing me to examine everything. Yeah. About about my life and about myself, and and propelling me through transformation. So, um, I think like the most challenging aspects of life, if you're an open person, lead to that.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting too, because what you're saying uh, reminds me of a lot of the themes uh, in the film itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was uh, just caught, especially by both Veronica and Daniel's uh, final meeting in the film. When uh, it seemed that they were, uh, they felt like they were very much alone. And it was a very melancholy ending, and um, it seemed that uh, they, they both were searching. And uh, and I I know know that maybe the way the relationship went, is uh, there were agreements, uh, and I think people agree to things in and and the passion or the experience. And maybe they don't follow the exact same letter as, you know, one character might to the other. And um, how they interpret that or if they just agree that it's just because they were experiencing something new and everything was overwhelming to them. Or maybe, you know, they just didn't really feel that level of commitment. Uh I felt that uh, uh, Veronica uh, seemed very very sad at... uh, at, at the loss. And uh, Daniel uh, was, um, uh, he was somewhere at sea at the end. You know, he was still, he was still searching and he he had, he had a world opened up to him, which I don't think he realized uh, existed. And and he was still chasing uh, uh, issues or desires. And he didn't know really what he wanted. So- yeah. So, can I ask you how how what was I mean, aside from you know your column, uh, what was you know the genesis of the film, and uh, how did you arrive at deciding uh, the, the plot points and uh, 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 areas that you you focused on? Because, you know, for me, there are three things that struck me. Uh, I figured inevitably New Yorkers will make a comparison to. Is a, a, a an establishing shot of the Manhattan skyline and the music that was reminiscent of all the time put me in the mind of Woody Allen. And mm-hmm. You um, sitting there typing, of course, Sex in the City, which I'm not—I am not the best gay, in because I don't really—I never really follow. But <laughs> uh, also, um, the masks and the parties reminded me of uh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, thanks for pointing out all those all those specifics that, um, reminded you of, of other films. and yeah, definitely inspired by, uh, all of those films, although I did not like Eyes Wide Shut. And that's part of the reason why I made this film is to, as a response to movies like that, that are about this lifestyle that, uh, are not authentic. They're, um, you know, I, Not to disparage Stanley Kubrick, but that that film um, did not authentically portray like this kind of world. I mean, maybe it just it was a whole thing, a whole other thing. But it gave the audience the impression that, oh, this is what these parties are like. They're very anonymous and um, kind of were so we're alienating and um, formalized, and that's not that's not the reality. So yeah, part,
0: yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah, it didn't, didn't seem genuine or authentic at all uh, to me either. Also, um, uh, the reality of the, the dinner uh, or the eating, the, the Daniel coming home to Veronica's house, reminded me of Annie Hall bringing Alvy Singer to her home. And <laughs> Yeah, very much. In one in one sense, it's just that it's just that. It was reminiscent. It was evocative of that as well. Um, so. Yeah,
1: it's actually actually. I I mean that also is very close to home for me. I I am a big fan of those old Woody Allen movies, and I my husband. I mean, we're still technically married. Is Jewish, and we we shared that love of the those old movies, and uh, you know these. Characters from two different worlds coming together, and you know, Daniel and Veronica are definitely from two different worlds. And um, the family scene is is uh, you know representative of of the the one character like being very much um, an outsider. Daniel being an outsider in that in that situation and uh, having trouble adapting to to Veronica's family. But, fa- but Veronica is also like kind of an outsider in her own family. So that's how they connect.
0: Many of the uh, people I, uh, I, I've actually interviewed that had the, uh, the black sheep uh, experience. Uh, yeah. Of, of the, and uh, they spend a lot of their adult lives trying to reconcile uh, their issues. So- <laughs> yes,
1: so- I think, I believe there's a black sheep in every family. <laughs>
0: Yeah, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I just came from a large uh, family um, gathering. Uh, my sister passed away last month and we had a, a memorial for her over the weekend. And uh, a, a extended family and it was a uh, very queer, uh, queer friendly and positive. And um, there was uh, a few people uh, there who had um, uh, the trend, I guess, in the family, including myself. But uh, I, I've been out for a long time and uh, I had nieces and uh, um, other family members were were, were were there, but it wasn't that they were black sheep because they were they were a part of the LGBT community. It was because um, they had, um, so you know, they, they had a lifelong history, uh, which is less than um, conformity, put it that way. Yeah, uh, many
1: things, many many things can make a black sheep. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be you're, you're not particularly a good person or you're, or, or you're, you're just like you're, you're just not conforming to what people. Yeah. You know. uh, so anyway, uh, what would you say to anyone interested in an aspect of your experience? Meaning if someone wanted to explore an idea or prospective opportunity based on what you can tell them, what would be the main thing to encourage or discourage them?
1: Well, yeah, I would I would say that if if you're interested in polyamory or non monogamy, watch my movie <laughs> and and um, uh, what I can tell you about my experience is that to um, is to approach it with with uh, as much honesty as possible and, and, but especially like honesty within yourself, like understanding your own needs and desires and like your reasons for exploring, uh, non-monogamous relationships. And because, uh, if you, if you understand yourself, then you'll have a better time, um, you know, uh, understanding others. I mean, that, I mean, that's, that applies to monogamy as well, but uh, especially with polyamory, because the, the the need for communication and boundaries and all um, all these things that make a relationship uh, functional and satisfying are even they're, I think intensified or it's magnified in polyamory because. Uh, when you have more than one partner, it's just just um it's it's harder to like hide and ignore <laughs> issues that may come up, right
0: I think there's a lot of complexity there, and again, you know uh. Some people will have a different interpretation and level of commitment and engagement, and uh, engagement. And it's it's different for a lot of people. Now, you know, me being gay man, having um, known so many people involved in all different types of relationships, and especially uh, men who uh, have our parents, and they were parents through a heterosexual relationship before. They had the awakening and uh, the uh, the experience uh, is of people going through uh, the awareness and coming to grips with who they are and their partners. Some of them have been very supportive and some of them have been outright, animo- uh, outright animosity. One fellow I know, he came out to his wife at least 20 years ago. They had, had grown daughters and he said. Still, they can just barely be in the room at the same time now. Uh-huh. The understanding and the experience of how they 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 uh, they came to grips with. Um, their- you
1: said the husband the husband came out to his wife.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she-
1: was he had- gay yeah. or bisexual?
0: He he was gay. Oh wow. He married another man now, and uh, but he has two grown daughters. Both of his daughters are I think they're approaching thirty. Uh, and I uh, have another another guy. Uh, 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 he was he's a psychiatrist. He came out, he was 42 years old, and uh, he came out and he told his wife, and she was very supportive. But I have, I mean, a myriad of friends who had been married, and their kids are getting older, and uh, their relationship has, uh, has ended, and they are now in, in either a relationship with other, with other men long term, or they're just single. But uh, they uh, they had a tumultuous experience, uh, a number of them did, and it wasn't uh, this you know, a Hallmark movie, uh, type of thing where everybody understands each other. Yeah. Uh, and, and and, you know, I think the, uh, some people, because of their, their marriage, the particularly one particular person is his wife felt this intense sense of betrayal and she, sure. she became enraged and, you know, she went down the list of every single thing she could. So he has had, um, a, a very difficult time. Um. He did not expect her to respect, react that way for such a prolonged period of time, but you know, that-
1: I can understand. Yeah, how, having that response is because it's. I if I guess I guess she wasn't. She didn't have a clue, maybe that that this was the case, or um, didn't see it coming. But um, you know, to like it, suddenly, like, oh, you're not the person. I thought you were and you're like why didn't you come out sooner and like you've been lying to yourself and lying to me this whole time so it's it's not so much about like not supporting sexual identity sexual orientation I think it's you know being hit with like what you're not the person I thought yes. you were It's like I, wow
0: I, I frame it as because uh, everybody does especially when they first started a relationship cuz you invest each other with attributes that you want the other person to live up to
1: yeah,
0: and I think there's an agreement if you get married and you follow a certain uh, especially a religion or, or whatever your belief system is that when uh, these bonds are broken uh it, it crushes some people to the point where you know they they can't trust other people or yeah or, you know and and he 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 is uh he's not unapologetic about it but he's definitely um uh, 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 comfortable with who he is, right? You know, and uh, he, but he does acknowledge that he had um, definitely deceived his wife.
1: So it seems like a lot of these examples of people, you know, that there was some disconnect within themselves. Like, I mean, I, I obviously it's it's hard to be, it's hard to come out, and like, um, I mean, I came out to my parents as bisexual uh, and they're very conservative and you know they didn't shun me but they did not embrace it either um and yeah they, i mean that's hard no matter what but but you know it seems like in with all these examples that um that these people were like hiding hiding from themselves or like there are some disconnect they weren't being honest with themselves and that's what caused a lot of the the drama and and the betrayal and the you know the
0: tragedy and it's all inner conflict too you know yeah they had, they had to come to terms with it when they came to terms with it you know uh, it boiled up and over uh i have a friend of mine whose son uh came out and she is absolutely the supportive mom and she's open-minded and liberal and <laughs> she embraced her son and he was so uh, torn up and she's like it's fine it's fine it's oh fine. wow yeah we don't care it's like, don't worry about it and yeah. he he had just built it up into such uh you know it's just this, this this terrible guilt is onus this that, that their son had placed on himself and she wow. like, said in the least bit you know and so you can oh, see so, yeah. how so many people make it and it's something that's they're living inside their head and they're mm-hmm. not they're not being their authentic selves to themselves so that's right the thing that that I see is is the problem uh, for a lot of guys because they just they can't picture themselves or the, instead of just dealing with with what is and seeing what happens uh, they want it to be something that they've got an idea in their mind and they can never live up to that
1: mm. yeah that's hard that's a really that's a tremendous burden to put on yourself, yeah.
0: So, um, I, I guess, let's I, I say, talk about the film, but, I mean, uh, next question is, uh, your most noteworthy achievement?
1: Um, the film is one of them. I mean, I also, I, I have two MFAs, two Masters of Fine Arts degrees, one in film and one in, one in creative writing um that so it was during during my time in film school when um the idea for less life love generated that's where i started writing the screenplay um yeah I'm, I'm i'm very proud to have these degrees and and you know kind of for me puts a stamp of validation on my my talent you know my purpose and uh, I haven't yet made a lot of money on my art, so it's nice to have the, these degrees to acknowledge, you know, what, um, what I come here to create. And, um, yeah.
0: Well, one of my, uh, one of my previous interviewees was a friend and a former co-worker. Uh, he's a, he, he has been a tech writer, but he has written a number of award-winning uh, books and uh, screenplays and he gets some, you know, uh, he's always posting about something He's in the Venice Film Festival, he's a can, and he gets a special award all the time and he wrote uh, a, a very well received novel recently and he's, he told me trying to be a writer is like, a writer is like trying to be a, an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah.
0: It, it, making a living and doing that is the same thing, you know? So yeah, I can see that, that you, but he, you know, he's, he's, he is, he's, persistent and he and he and actually does really really well um, and he's uh, he's Irish American and a lot of this stuff is focused on uh, the experience uh, in Ireland and Irish American um, mm-hmm. Yes, that's a really good that's his perspective but, uh, but he's straight and he's married and you know um, he, he's a really good guy um, but uh, you know everybody has you uh, um, something that they, that is their need. It's not their avocation or it's it's their passion. And yes, I, think, uh, I hope so. I hope everybody has a passion. You know, I think most people do to some degree. Uh, they pursue it and uh, whether it is a profession or as a hobby. Uh, so, um. Let me ask you, what is uh, the biggest personal challenge you have faced? Was it a personal injury, a seemingly overwhelming task, a personal or professional goal? Or, a difficult situation you had to overcome?
1: I think it's the same answer as maybe it was your first question, or uh, but like going through separation and divorce, well, marriage, separation, and divorce, that whole experience. Um, And, you know, during the time of the separation, I was also in a car accident. Um, This was. Just uh, like six weeks well, I was like February when that happened, and it was like um, it was very traumatic uh, because I could have died considering what happened yeah. to the ve- to the vehicle yeah, um, and I was completely conscious the entire time I didn't black out and uh, I I, it was yeah, like a near-death experience in that in that way, like not knowing what how it was going to end because the car was flipping flipping around multiple times um, sideways, and miraculously landed upright. And I I didn't have I only had like very minor injuries, like nothing serious. Um, like fully recovered physically and. The only lingering effect now is that I don't drive, I don't have a car and I'm avoiding driving and I'm afraid to drive.
0: <laughs> I, I understand PTSD PTSD uh, yeah. experiences. And uh, I actually know somebody who's T-boned upstate New York and he was flown from the car and he, and he kept consciousness the, the entire time. And he has a, a, this heartbreaking story and he has uh, become the most serene person I've ever met in my life because of his experience. But he, he uh, just, it's it's just it's such a life changing experience we've had um, living in Manhattan and even though we live in Chelsea, we've been robbed several times and once uh, we had a home invasion at gunpoint and uh, the PTSD is uh, something that lingers for uh, far longer than people think, you know, and, uh, you know the uh, awareness of, of this and coming to grips with uh, the impact it has on you. It's an ongoing process. The resolution is that you resolve to deal with it, not, not that it, it's over. So, and, yeah. Um, so what would you say was the transformational moment in your life? Was it meaning, a meaningful gift or reason to belong to something, being a, a parent, good job, bad job?
1: Um, like when my husband and I separated, like I ex- started to experience a lot of inner transformation, just how that kind of, kind of goes back to my childhood traumas, like just feeling like there were certain things that, uh, that needed to happen in order for me to heal all that. And like this separation was a catalyst for a lot of transformation. And, um, yeah, I think, I think like I think major breakups can have that effect.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people really, really have to do, well, a lot of people do a lot, a lot of soul searching and, and they, they, they think about a lot about you know, their place in life. I'm at the point right now, I'm feeling like Willie Loman, you know, the, the, the question of mortality starts coming into your life and you start thinking about that differently. But uh, I know people who uh, have gone through breakups and, um, they don't even realize that they're giving away uh, a little TMI when, when they have conversations because uh, it, it, as far as they're concerned, they're not just conscious awareness of, of it has been um, uh, reckoned with, but they're, they're, it, it hasn't really. And, uh, yeah, and they have to just curb their tongue a little bit or um, remember the context of where they are when they make something, uh, when they say something, <laughs> it may not be something that other people feel comfortable with because it, it, it's it's just so overwhelming to them they you know it's like they it's assuming it's a universal affirmative for everyone
1: and uh, i think i think if you don't go through a major transfer transformation after a breakup you're just going to go m- well most people they they um they ha- they repeat mistakes in um in subsequent relationships so like they don't learn what they what they were meant to learn from the relationship that didn't work and so they just end up in this cycle of you know running into the same problems over and over again whether um, they're attracted to the same types of people that trigger their uh, flaws and faults that they they need to confront and if they don't want to confront them then they'll just continue in that cycle right and i think like my film um, uh, you could say that Veronica is confronted with some vulnerability within herself that she never really uh, faced before, that you know, Daniel kind of brings up in her. And so you could say that she's like at the beginning of that transformation at, by the end of the film
0: so and uh, that was that was interesting to me it was it was daniel but also uh your friend uh, the character um that daniel um, uh, maya
1: maya maya yeah both of them yes mm-hmm. because
0: i think that the, the issue was uh you know having a relationship with both of them independent and together and then having them see cuz i see you like look and see Veronica's face when she realizes that they're having a thing that that she could be excluded from, and all of a sudden it hits her. Yeah, you know, and you can see the look on her face when she's really, you know, and she's—I think she's she's just disappointed, or she feels a little bit alienated, and just—I think—surprised at the idea that they were continuing, or they were they were initiating, or whatever it was, the, the conducting a relationship uh, that she was unaware of the the depth or uh, how uh, she was being excluded and she yeah
1: yeah it's just like it's not explicitly stated in the film but it's it's like fear of abandonment right you know i think a lot of polyamorous people they um if you know, they're they they either have very secure attachment where they don't have this fear, and they're a- that's how they're like able to sustain multiple relationships without a tremendous conflict and drama. But then there are other people who are drawn to it because they're avoidant um, or you know afraid of commitment, and so. And then they're like, "Yay, this is great! Like freedom, yes." And but then when they, when the reality of of a partner like being with someone else more, uh, in in, being, in in a, in a deeper emotional way, um, that is threatening. And then they're like, "Oh shit, <laughs> yeah. this is not a, this is not how I imagined it would be." Yeah. Uh, And um, so I think, you know, Veronica, I think that comes across in the film where like Veronica is like, yes, freedom, empowerment. At the beginning, I have all these partners and everything is wonderful and empowering. And then there's someone who is a little too eager and wants to experience everything like for the first time. And it's too much for her.
0: Like whoa, no! By, by doing this, uh, you know you're making you, you're opening up your own vulnerabilities to other people. Yes. You, you know, and you see how much easier it is to be hurt.
1: hmm
0: uh, You know, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of trust in this type of experience, and uh, I mean, you know, it's one of the, and uh, uh, I think uh, gay and leather culture, the, there there uh, there is uh, experiences that people have, and this is not particularly mine, but I do know. Uh, the word trust because of uh, an activity that people engage in uh, that's a word that is uh, is a running under a, a theme undercurrent is is, is trust because it, um it's it's, it's really um, uh, it's a dodgy type of thing if you know if you're not completely uh, you know um, at ease with the other person if you, you don't know what they're gonna do or how they're going to react and and you know lots of people have to get into things they think they get it's a little over their head and they suddenly become afraid and they they, they pull back yes of an experience because it's it's something that they just can't deal with they don't understand they did not realize the pandora's box they open i think that's a part Daniel said yeah he had, he had the Pandora's box open and he yeah he exploring and, he, and, he, and he, he was stimulated by so many things and, and he didn't have any problem like hiring a sex worker or going right. off with maya and he didn't understand That the consequences of doing this, aside from his marriage breaking up, was was that you know he was going to be alienated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So um, again, I go back to what drives you. What gets you up in the morning?
1: Oh, to to write. I have so many stories I want to tell, and and um, I spent so many years. Struggling with procrastination and distraction is, you know, I, I I have a lot of creative gifts and I it's it's hard to to choose. Um, um, I'm very blessed in that way, but it also makes it like difficult to uh, to progress. So and and especially with writing, which re- requires a tremendous amount of you know solitude and and mm-hmm. <laughs> discipline focus. And so I recently joined this online like morning writing club that meets on Zoom a bunch of writers um on both coasts. It's like eight to ten a.m on the East Coast. And I'm not a morning person and I usually don't make it on like before eight (laughs) forty-five. But even so, like I'll keep writing past 10 a.m and I've been very consistent with this. Um, it's helped a lot. So that's been getting me out of the bed in the morning recently
0: i uh, I, I think of uh, uh, two people, Ken Burns and Jerry Seinfeld, both talked about just uh, every day you commit to a certain amount of writing, no matter what.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: but I think of, I think Ken Burns says five hundred words a day or something like that. And yeah, so-
1: which is it's not that much, actually, yeah, mm-hmm
0: and and cycle just you know just, y- y- if you don't force yourself to write even if it's bad it doesn't make a difference the discipline of doing something and and turning it into a habit
1: uh-huh
0: that you 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 just gravitate to on a regular basis it prompts you to and it elevates your 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 skill you know and whatever uh you you do um me personally i am a uh, retired chef Then i started out cooking uh flipping burgers at the beach and I just didn't realize I had an aptitude to it and I started doing it. And uh, I, I'm a graduate of the French culinary student. I worked in restaurants all, all over Manhattan. Uh, uh, my hands. I don't have manual dexterity, anymore, so I can't do it. But uh, uh, the, you know, it's 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 the desire uh, every time, every second you're working to improve what you do. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. You know, you really have to constantly apply yourself and want to get it down and keep getting better. And, yeah, you, you know, that's the thing that you have to do. Otherwise, you're 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 what they call a hacker or a shoemaker. So. Uh, also, oh, uh, I have to before I go any further. Uh, well, no, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Part of one of the, uh, the questions. But uh, the last question. Oh, no, not the last question. Uh, that I have the second to last question I asked before we get to yours is uh, what is your Zen?
1: Oh, cats. Okay. I love cats, and they are—they are like little Buddhas because they are so present. And I think all animals are you know, um, perfect meditators, and just because they're—they're—they're they're present, they don't have the the monkey minds like the narratives and and the the dramas that that we have. Um, <laughs> so.
0: I lost, uh, we lost our pal, we had him for 17 and a half years. Oh, he was my baby. We, we, <laughs> we, we got him a bite, of him, he was a kitten. And um, he was my best pal in the whole wide world. I <laughs> see him some dearly every day. Yeah, uh, you know, we just, uh, you know, he, 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 chilled me out all the time. And I was so happy to be bossed around by him. You know? <laughs> I, I worked for him, I, I just, but I, you know, he just I, I, I miss him all the time. We've still miss him. We're still, and we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't actually gotten to the point of getting a new bringing bring so oh, It
1: takes time, I know. Like I just lost lost a cat a few months ago and um, that was very hard with everything else that was going on in my life. And but you know, I have one with me now who is was also in the movie, this cat. Um, Minnie Munch is her real name. Her her name is Lulu in the film. Yes. But she's like she's like my soul kitty. You know, just she just brings so much comfort and 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 bliss and happiness and helps like bring me back to the moment.
0: Yes. I was so like, you have a cat in the plate behind you? Is that a cat? Oh
1: what are you seeing behind me on on yes, uh-huh. that yeah, that that is a um cat on a plate. Yes. And the, Right,
0: my cat is right there. Right there. <laughs> oh, there you are. That's right. Hello, sweetie. <laughs> uh, and I noticed you had you had a cat mug. And uh, <laughs> just yes, at one of the parties.
1: That's right. I I definitely brought gave that um put that aspect of myself uh onto Veronica, um you know there.
0: Oh. I think it's a it's a really good um, uh, co- color for the character, anyway. You know, yeah. But you don't make a point of uh, discussing in detail the cat. It's just like it's it's, it's the cat's there. Everything mm-hmm. about cats is present in your life, so you're you're uh, you're inferring as as a viewer that obviously you're a cat person. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but it's also. I think narratively i don't i don't know if if you interpreted it this way, but um you know how like cats can be very capricious and 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 territorial and and um but also very loyal and these are like qualities that uh like Veronica and in, in, in her experiences of jealousy, it's almost like a territorial cat, right?
0: Good insight. I didn't, I didn't actually come to think of that as being cat related, but it makes an awful yeah. sense. It makes, <laughs> it's interwoven into the psyche yeah. The character. Um, okay, so this is my last of, of my 10 questions. Uh, and this is the one that people have uh, given me a wide variety of answers. Of. Uh, um, and, and it's very fun. Some have been very, very um, abstract. Some have been very concrete. Uh, it's uh, the threshold. Oh, yeah. No going back. You know, the you've left, the wall has been closed up behind you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, how did you know when you arrived there? How did you feel to cross it? What was the significance to you? What did you leave behind? What are you glad you left behind? And what do you regret leaving behind? Big question.
1: I don't think there's only one threshold in life that i'll i'll for the sake of the question i'll pick one and that is like the first time i was truly in love and my heart was broken and and so i was that was between the ages of 20 and 22 early 20s and so having never like been in love before and to have that experience like that's a huge threshold right um because you can never go back to not knowing what love is right (laughs) and then um and then and then to go from that to to having your heart broken like like that experience is like wow like getting the rug pulled out from under you like nothing in, in in childhood compares to that um kind of experience and i mean maybe it will bring up things from childhood but but just to it just i remember feeling like a loss of innocence like i i can never i can never go back to the innocence of yearning for love and and then having it and feeling like uh, I was on top of the world and feeling like, oh, I'm so special because of this experience, like almost like, like no one, no one else understands this, which is ridiculous. Um, but.
0: I, I completely understand. I'm, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been married. We've been married for 32 years, but uh, I, I had uh, my share of, of, of experiences before. I like to. Um, compare that to uh i i, I of course uh new Yorker. so of course I, I had took a stab at acting for several years and when you have success and, and you're in a repertory uh a theater uh and then you go out on auditions and you 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 can see the body language you can hear the actual uh the language of rejection and you 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 once you you that's that's happened to you you can see it come a mile away and you get sent to yeah. One after another, after another, after another. People tell you you're perfect, you're great. You come in, you read, you walk into a room. There's 50 people who look exactly like you, talk like you, sound like you, dress like you, and you are like, well, wow, this is going to be a few times. And then you go through the whole thing, and <laughs> what they say, it's all boilerplated, and it's, it's standard. And but you can see it coming when you know that you're not, you're not going to be, you're not going to get this, and yeah. crestfallen. And you just realize, well, okay, you know, I see, but you can't be jaded and bitter. Because you can't you have to have the enthusiasm. Yeah. The next
1: it's, it's it's really hard and I, I've been through that too with the pursuing acting and I um I gave it up for the most part. I mean that aspect of it, auditioning and I obviously I acted in the film and I I, I act when opportunities um, come up, but it's it's not like my main profession where I'm I'm engaged in the business of acting like constantly auditioning and I it just felt like uh, it was too much for me I couldn't handle that amount of rejection and helplessness but for me writing and and writing is more empowering because I'm doing no one can take that away from me right i mean i may be my writing may be rejected by magazines and, and publishers but um the writings is still there as opposed you know to that as a, as opposed to acting while well, you can't i mean uh, unless you produce your own work and i think that you know a lot of people turn to, to that a lot of actors turn to producing their own work because of this frustration that you're describing
0: yeah, and, and I found that I found that one of the things that I used to used to irk me was uh it's it's an, it never ends. It never ever ends with people. They're forever talking about something someone else said about them. Uh-huh. As opposed to having your own sense of self esteem. Uh-huh. You have to constantly cite any anything, any minuscule thing that gives you a that, that affirms you. And uh-huh. The insecurity gets feeds uh, is, is fed on something else, and you're looking for something to validate you. And it's just this it's this monster that that eats people up, and uh, it's it's a terrible thing. You have to have a specific type of personality. You have to be very sturdy to with to take the withdrawal uh, rejection and to maintain the optimism and the self confidence and self esteem. So I mean, the,
1: the positive side is that if you're able to sustain it is that you develop resilience. Yes. And, and you'll just be a stronger person and um, be able to, to deal with whatever rejection comes your way and not let it affect your like, inner inner sense of uh, identity and, and value. Like, you're, you're, like, you know your own value. You don't need other people to validate that for you and I think the same thing with broken hearts having your heart broken is if you manage to uh fully feel the pain and you you don't avoid it or self-medicate or um you know run into a new relationship too soon if I mean (laughs) I made a lot of mistakes after the first broken heart (laughs) and and you know and that's you know probably why like um later on uh I had I had a lot of problems in relationships but like this time I fully felt all the pain and the grief and I didn't avoid it and and uh I'm I'm more resilient now and I know that I I cannot uh, base my value on on another person on uh, and you know just like Veronica ends up at the end of the film like you know you have to love yourself before you can like really truly love another person
0: you have to you have to absolutely uh do that uh, that's uh, something uh, I, you know, I learned a long time ago was the uh the absolute necessity of uh being able to uh not only love yourself but also understand uh there are going to be times where you're going to be alone and you have yeah. to kind of lack yourself you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just being okay with being alone, like not, not feeling like you have to have a partner to be whole, to feel complete. Um, Like you should already feel complete within yourself and having a partner or partners is just, uh, just adds to your life fulfillment. It's not, it's, yeah. A
0: lot of your identity has to come from with, you know, it's, you know, I know so many people who, uh, especially now recently with layoffs and jobs and stuff, especially tech, I work with, with a lot of people in tech, and so much, they, they attached so much of their identity to the job that they had. Mm-hmm. It, totally crushed, they, they just couldn't believe that they weren't the person anymore who held that sway or had that authority or that people took them seriously or anybody took them at face value. And suddenly you're just not that person anymore and it's like yeah miles an hour and you just hit you stop you into a void yeah no, they don't know know how to to reconcile or who'd be how to be themselves
1: without the job i think it happens with parents too like after their kids grow up and leave and they've they've they put all their identity into being a parent and then they you know didn't didn't have a career or, or um yeah, so I think it happens in many ways. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and I know that too. I've know I know people have done that too, and you know, as soon as the kids get old enough, they uh, they've flown the coop or they've left the nest, uh-huh. realize that they have not worked on themselves in their relationships, or yeah, they they drift apart, and and it happens.
1: Oh. Yeah, you
0: know what happens. Uh, It's uh, it's a far more recurring theme than uh, a lot of people want to acknowledge. And I and I also have uh, my oldest friend. He's still mad. He and his wife are still madly in love with each other. They've been together for 38 years. So it's you know, it's not. Yeah, you know, some people have just this great experience. You know, they just truly, truly love each other. And and they're they're, uh, they they mean they still they crack each other up all the time. You know, and it's it's great to see that in other people. But you, you also know that you know i think the best thing is when people realize that it's over and yeah. to grips with it because as opposed to you know having to you're in this world where it, it's it's nothing is conclusive and you really have to find what it is that that, you, that what's the substance and if there isn't anything there anymore well you know this is this is what you're going to have to come to yeah
1: move. Yeah. It's just sad when people stay in relationships out of fear of the pain of not being in that relationship. Even though there is pain in the relationship, you know, it's very, very hard to break up.
0: You're attached and you, you, you really uh, don't realize that you're holding on to something that's really not good for you. Right. Because you're right. so used to holding on to it. And as it's changed, you haven't been, it, it's been a continuum for you. So you can't, you're not seeing that when you, you realize what you started out with, how, how it started, how it went. Then I think people go, oh, and then yeah. that's, start having all these questions and they have all these other, you know, is, uh, issues that they have to deal with. But, uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: ultimately you'll feel worse uh, before you feel better. But it's like you have to go to the nadir. I think that was one of your other questions. You have to go to the nadir in order to rise up again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's temper you. Uh, so, um Aside from uh, writing and uh, making films, uh, hobbies, avocations, pastimes?
1: Yeah, I love dancing. I have been dancing since I was five years old. I, my parents put me into ballet class, and uh, I didn't become a ballerina, but I love I love dancing and being on stage. And then I did, um, after a little bit of ballet, tap and jazz for years, and then uh, till... I was an adult and then as an adult got really into like partner dancing, like swing and Latin dancing. And so, um, yeah, I've always maintained that. And, and you know, I have the skills and I have the passion for it. And I just, you know, a lot of different styles of dancing, but I gravitate especially to swing dancing, blues dancing. And, um yeah.
0: I have a friend who actually does that, she actually does also retro. Uh-huh. the 40s, uh, the 40s yeah. look, and she goes, she's even gone on to like the um, uh, uh, when, when the MTA pulls out the uh, the vintage trains.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's so that and then
0: they go and they do a dance, and everybody, you know, fun,
1: yeah,
0: just dresses up in retro clothes. And
1: uh-huh.
0: she's, she's very, very big on that. So, my mom taught me to dance. I'm surprised at how many gay men do not know how to dance. I, I, mm-hmm. uh, I oh. I'm, I'm I'm really utterly surprised uh, that so many don't. Uh, I used to. Um, you
1: mean you mean um, like partner dancing as yeah, opposed like, to club you, dancing? I
0: believe, yeah, because yeah, I do that. But uh, it's happened to me. Uh, um, there was a place I live uh, in Chelsea, and there was a place down down the street that's now closed. But while it was open, uh, we were there one night, and a woman who was say in her early sixties had recently retired and left the city came back you know once you hit a certain age you know you can't go to a nightclub you know you're too old for that it's not your crowd they they don't want you there and it's going to be what you wanted and she just said does anybody know how to dance and I was the only person in this place that was crowded who did so Uh and you know I'm, I'm no great shakes but I can shake a leg Uh, And my mom taught me how to dance, and uh, next thing you know, my dance card is filled with uh, all these women. Who and I I very much enjoyed doing this Uh, (laughs) until uh, one night uh, we were there, and uh, two uh, a a crew of guys from a restaurant we we used to go to uh, came in, and uh, one little guy uh, insisted on leading, and I had never uh, I had always been the lead. Mm-hmm. It was. I was just very, very flattered. I was very tickled the fact that he put his hands this way, <laughs> uh-huh. and I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. I, was, I thought that was very cute, but so, uh, and I very much enjoyed doing it. And uh, I think that a lot of people just, just, just the recreational, or the fun aspect of knowing how to dance move body uh, is as opposed to just uh, you know club dancing where you're just jumping up and down doing over that thing. It's a
1: great great way to connect with people too and you don't uh you don't even have to have much of a conversation with them but you can connect with them them in this other way through the music yes. through, can you, you know, through bodies but not sexually. Yeah. And and that's nice too to like have physical contact with with another person without the pressure of it like yeah. being sexual
0: <laughs> it, was, it yeah. was very pleasurable you know and uh i uh, i plus i, I you know it's it, it, it was you do commune with them with each yes. other yes you know yeah. you're, not, you're not it's unspoken you don't have to you're just enjoying each other's company and you and you know you make small talk while you're doing it and it's it's nothing heavy and it but it's just a very enjoyable experience and it spreads like goodwill and good cheer and You know, a little bit of amity there when you're doing that. So I think that that's. I've
1: also I've also experienced like sensuality dancing with people, but where it's just like contained in the dance. Right. And like we're both in it. And but then it's it's not like, oh, like, do you want to go out for a date? You know, it's it's just in the dance itself. And I love that.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's that's, and that, I would say that that was my experience with this 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 little guy who took the lead. I, <laughs> I was very tickled by the whole thing. And, yeah, yeah, it existed only in that experience, you know. Yeah, I,
1: it's a beautiful thing.
0: Yes, it is. Um, so my next question is, uh, who do you read? Mm.
1: Right now, I'm reading a book by George Saunders, "A Swim in the Pond in the Rain," where he he. Um, there's a selection of Russian short stories, and he, he analyzes them, um, gives his, his take on them. And it's a really good book for writers, because it's, it's all about, like, why does this story work? Why is this story good? What, what is it about this story? Um, other than that, you know, I'm, um, right now I'm reading a lot of self-help books, like, because of what I'm going through. Um, Books on um, uh, emotionally immature parents. Books on uh, let's see what I have here: women who love too much. Um, uh, I'm reading heart wounds, um, like relationship books. But I, I read, I read novels. I read memoirs. Um, read a lot of creative nonfiction in the past. Few years when I was doing that, the MFA in creative writing. Um, I read, I read everything.
0: I'm interested in a lot of history myself. Uh, mm-hmm. I read a lot of this, uh, history books. I've been reading a lot about my Irish uh, background, uh, and uh, particularly focused on because I've seen a few things, uh, but I've been reading a lot about the uh, the Irish famine uh, Oh yeah. Profound effect it had on the culture and uh, and oh the thing about my the last weekend was my sister uh, the the her because she chose to, to let go she was very ill and she let go so she planned out uh, the memorial and the request was that it was to celebrate her Irish heritage.
1: Oh wow! And
0: we had uh, we had a guy in a kilt playing the bagpipes and we had step dancers there and. My, my nephew actually rented a, a a portable Irish pub that was on a a, a trailer in a hitch, and he went when it went inside. it was it was an Irish pub. Oh, and wow. i'm I'm very uh, I'm, I'm, I feel almost guilty as to not knowing or not being as informed as I am now about uh, the 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 incredible experience that happened to so many people in that country. And, uh, you know, at one point before the famine hit, there was 8 million people in Ireland. And after 1851, there was three and a half million people. Uh-huh. So th- they lost more than half the population. And all the people who left, virtually all the people who left the country knew they were never coming back to see their family again. And they were all teenagers.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And uh, to see and to get that insight and to, un- and to understand how it affected. And I have I have cousins in Ireland. Who who are so much more uh, um, uh, lettered and uh, aware uh, and educated in American history than most Americans are, and we we know virtually nothing about uh, the history other than just um, the collective um, fable that people want to believe in. You know, the quiet man type of story where it was cute and uh, uh, you know it was and it was actually a horrific experience for so many people. And uh, yeah. Leon Uris, uh, uh, he and his wife had, had done a picture book. It's called Ireland, A Terrible, Terrible Beauty, which was done. I think it was done in the 70s and it was before the Irish turnaround in the economy. And you can see uh, relics, remnants of the past of the culture in uh, in these photographs. It was a photo essay, book, basically, but it was beautifully shot and you could see how people uh, were so proud to hang on to uh, these these aspects of their culture, because because they survive, and we think of them as just being these little cute little places. But don't understand these things. These things are the are the toughest, hardest places that people. Well, some
1: of my favorite writers are Irish. I I, I was in an I went through an Irish writer phase in college. I, I did a thesis on Oscar Wilde and Yeats, and uh, yeah, so um, big fan of. The second coming of the, uh, the Irish writers, Yates, Oscar Wilde. Um, who else do I have on my bookshelf? They were all men, though. I, mean, I don't know any female Irish writers. Um, uh, but I I did love uh, the novel Brooklyn by Colm Toybin. Toybin, um, do you know this novel Irish Irish writer? Yeah. sort a uh, contemporary it was writ- it was published in uh, 2005 maybe my mom when was it when was it no 2008 i think it was and it was it was adapted into a film starring uh, Neil Jordan directed Sarah said S- 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 how do you say her name the actress who was in little women and saris S- S- irish name you know, <laughs> um, but, but, you know, about a young Irish woman traveling by boat to New York in the ni- 1950s and living in a boarding house and falling in love with this uh, Italian guy, Italian immigrant. It's a beautiful, beautiful love story. And uh, yeah, I recommend that one.
0: My mom uh, loved it. Uh, she it was very. I, I consider my mom's story. I would like to write my mom's story. I consider her uh, Copperfield's ashes. She's a combination of David Copperfield and Angela's ashes. Mm, she, yeah, yeah, she, yeah. True yeah. torment. And uh, when she came to America, she married my father. Um, she had been living in England, and they met on Christmas in nineteen fifty-two, and they were married in September night. At Christmas nineteen fifty-one, they were married in September nineteen fifty-two. My father was in the Air Force. Uh, and uh, he was recalled after World War One, after World War, World War II, yeah, World War Two. and um, uh, he, he he didn't know if he was going to Korea or uh, in England, and he went, he went to England, he met my mother, took her uh, back, and she said there were so many parallels between that character and her life, uh-huh. you know, living in Brooklyn, and they lived in Brooklyn before uh, they, they moved out to the suburbs, it, it, so it, it was heartbreaking for her, and, and heart-tugging, she loved, but she loved it, she just, she, there was... That was very similar to her story. So
1: yeah, just that 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 whole experience of this try, trying to find your way in a in a completely foreign culture, yep. that's still an experience that so many millions of people have today. Is all the immigration that happens, and
0: and that's the thing. And- we don't understand it that's it's one thing i don't understand white people yeah I, I don't understand i don't understand how gay people can be so elitist to each other once they, they they've grown up being rejected and bullied and, and, and right and then they do exactly the same thing to other people as soon as it happens to them and um, it's you know, hard yeah. is, think, like you, you came over did you, you experience such a. Your, your, your ancestors went through such a tor- torment such an ordeal uh-huh. I have no awareness of, 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 of how you treat other people who are going through the exact same thing. It sure, boggles my mind that, that that you can't extend this to to other people that, or that you just are completely unaware of this. You know, yeah,
1: there are parallels. So, like between you know the immigrant experience and the queer experience, I think, because is uh, you know facing. Discrimination, obviously, hate, um, uh, not getting jobs—that uh, you know, uh, that kind of competition—and
0: yeah, I think uh, for me, uh, the idea, uh, uh, the marginalization of gay people up until—and I, I, I will say this—up until Clinton uh, had out people in the White House. Mm. Nobody thought of you as being other than the stereotype. And uh, being out, I remember I was working as a temp in uh, um, for Credit uh, Lyonnais, and I was working in project finance. And uh, they were all very nice, and there was two queer people in there as well. Uh, There there was a a queer woman and a queer man, and they were both very successful. And they, they were elites. They were they were very much Pines people. Or he was very much Pines person. And, you know, they lived at the tippy top of the iceberg. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't I was a pro as far as they're concerned. But one of the guys um, in the department, uh, and I thought it was just, just, you know, I thought I gave off queer no matter what. Uh, and, you know, a grown man working as a temp, I, after I couldn't work in restaurants anymore, uh, uh, you know, you just wonder, you know, wonder why this guy didn't come to the logical conclusion but once he found out that I was gay, we got on we got on an elevator to go to the office to go up to the office uh, from the ground floor, and he stood on the other side of the elevator against the wall as if I was going to infect him. Wow! Grimace on his face, and he, he his pained expression. I, I, I was just like, "Wow, really?" And I was also. Um, I was. Uh, I've been gay bash several times, and I was gay bashed in places where I was like, "Is this this is Manhattan in the '90s?" And I'm in a place where I, I have, I'm inveterate at what I was doing. Uh-huh. Uh, uh I knew the industry so much better than these people who were new to this, and uh, I was blackballed and I was gay and I couldn't understand how uh-huh. these people who were so primitive and tribal had got got away with doing this yeah you know, and 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 they are so i understand uh, oh, i'm
1: sorry you went through that that sounds awful it's
0: uh that's that's helped me grow as, as a human being too you know give me uh, insight into uh, what other people uh uh suffer so uh, uh yes I, yes I definitely relate to other people's struggles and see uh how the dignity so many people have and uh, I can see how they're able to maintain uh, their sense of self-esteem. and uh, when somebody you know it's it's almost always out of ignorance, but they just don't un- or and or they're just they're you know emotionally intellectually immature people, and how their're uh, arrogance, I guess, in, in, in being and in, in thinking that there is no repercussion, there's no consequence for their behavior or uh, that the people are just going to just accept this, um, you know, being sh- shuttered off in this, uh, uh, a second class status it's just, it's amazing to me it's just, mm-hmm. You look at people and I just can't believe you're looking at somebody say these things with, you know, complete impunity. And, and you look at the people who are suffering from this and you, you know, I have more respect for you now because you kept your composure. and you mm-hmm didn't react because you know better and but still i i I am devastated whenever i see this you know but but
1: i think it's usually so usually uh stems from something that they fear within themselves that they just can't handle and so they project it out on other people that you know trigger this fear in themselves like uh you know (laughs) some late latent uh, queer desires of their own that they don't want to confronts
0: and oh uh, that's that's more than uh I, I i i remember one day uh many years ago i was uh, out for a sunday brunch having a few drinks uh with my husband and uh went to a bar that we a place we met which was actually became a mama fuku and, and, and uh, uh, uh but in the in, in in the early 90s uh it was very popular And I went in there with my husband and I see this guy standing at the end of the bar and he's been playing softball and he's a little bit lifted up and. uh, He uh, I'm looking at him going, I know know this guy. I went to high school with this guy. I walked over to him. I talked to him. And I introduced myself and it turns out we were classmates and he uh, immediately apologized because he was cruising me and I said you don't have to apologize because we're 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 both together uh, and he said oh yeah right and then he proceeded to to tell me all the people that we grew up with who went to high school with who were gay who were closeted and they were the worst bullies.
1: oh yeah <laughs> it's not surprising right yeah
0: you know, maybe- uh-huh what do you know? You know, <laughs> and then of course, here's the weird thing too: is either if they're if, if they're not gay, or, or, or because you are someone that they knew, in their mind, we're best pals.
1: So uh. to see,
0: yeah, they want it. They think that we're all cool now, right? <laughs> well, um, I'll say- oh, you
1: mean the 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 people who were the former bullies? Now yeah. that they yeah. you know know that you're 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 gay and they're they're like oh yeah okay i'm you know i'm cool with gay people now yes is I, that what you're saying I, yeah I, okay
0: you know uh, well i don't quite remember it like that uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> my life but, uh, but that's what happens you know the, the distant time and and they think their misperception or their recollection of things was uh, is you know i didn't really like being threatened with my life uh yeah <laughs> but, um, uh-huh. you know and they don't they don't remember it that way because They've had this moment of epiphany at some point in their life or they're just um, or they've come out.
1: Oh, yeah. That's they, they often sometimes they don't remember the bullying that they do. Because I, I confronted a bully of mine at a high school reunion, this guy who sexually harassed me for months and ended up becoming a big reality TV producer And so at the reunion I confronted him about what happened and he didn't remember. He honestly didn't remember it. And he, and he was shocked and he, and he, and then he, we had a conversation like away from the party. Um, and, and where I, I, I told him more about my experience and the details of it and how I felt and how it affected me. And he was like, he was remorseful, like, and he felt awful that he didn't remember and that he did that. And it was—it was actually quite healing for me, too. Yeah, yeah,
0: um, I've had that too, where uh, people have—I've um, uh, uh, expressed uh, certain things, and uh, I, 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 you know, there's there's loads of stories I, I could tell you about people who said, you know, they had relationships with other guys. And uh, when they were teenagers, and then uh, when they go back to their hometown, uh, the guy's married and has a family. And uh, not only uh, did they reject him out of hand, but you know, it was one of those things where it uh, is innocently, naively thinking you can just look somebody up and go to their knock on their door, and being met cold and having the door slam in their face. And uh-uh. There's that, and then there's uh, the other thing where people who are, are uh, become much more socially aware and uh, they uh, they are uh, they think because they think they're, they're they're fine with themselves that nothing that happened in the past matters and you know you know some kid is walking around with this giant boulder uh, on his back for years' deal mm-hmm. and they don't they don't they never, they
1: don't remember it like it's like they blocked it out right yeah, yeah. Right. but Just, I think the so, fact so. that yeah but I, I think the fact that I, I shared this with him, like, really affected him. Because uh, he, like, I got a message from him, like, weeks later saying, I really feel bad about this. Is there anything I can do? And I was like, no, no, it was just enough to be able to talk to you about it. And
0: Yeah, I think I think uh, that's, for me, that was the thing. And I'm also at the age where... Um, Life's too short and uh, people who had disagreements with who have come around, uh, you know, uh, I I forgive. Uh, I I can't forget, Uh, but uh, I I don't it's not as prominent as it was.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have the the uh, the charge or like it's like not weighing you down in the same way as it used to. Yeah, I get that
0: so but, you know and, and it's and it's just better for my own uh well-being and my own mental health to, to not carry that around yeah you know you know why would you do that why are you, you you're the one carrying this you're the one doing this they, they're walking around fine right but, right right yes, why should you do why should it shouldn't be on the only should not be on you to mm-hmm. have something that you have an unresolved issue because someone was abusive to you or uh you know push you to the corners and,
1: yeah you don't like you don't need to confront them necessarily in order to heal it with, within yourself because yeah. they might they may not be capable of of um hearing you or you know apologizing or whatever you might want from them but you can you can like do that for yourself
0: yeah they're they're, they're you've taken them by surprise and they've been unaware of this or they haven't dealt with it and, and and if you do you're opening up a hornet's nest of their own it's sure, bad. sure. So, what do you want? I don't want and to- it.
1: Might, it might end up being more like re traumatizing if they react badly. So, it's sometimes it's better not, not to confront certain people.
0: Yeah. And I think also that's like, yeah. I, it, and to some degree, it's that fraction of things. Just live your life the best you can, act as if nothing had happened, and just keep going. Because uh, uh, if you were to give it, and you know, no one likes to cry baby. And and if you carry this around, you personally, I'm living with 30 years later after being gay-bashed, and I'm still dealing with a tremendous amount of um, physical issues after that happened. I was gay-bashed right outside of the spike too. Wow. Uh, And it's one of those things where uh, I'm not gonna, first of all, I'm not going to complain and bring it up and make it a prominent aspect of my conversation with people, but I'm also just trying to be as nonchalant about it as uh, as my experience as possible because I don't want this to be a, a sticking point in in my uh, interactions with other people. I don't mm-hmm. want it to be the one thing that people think of me about uh, of me as you know. Sure. So, you know why would you do that? Because it reduces you to a caricaturization of yourself, and I, I I really would rather not that be. And also I, I just having um this experience with so many gay people uh, as uh, they have this uh, instead of just understanding that the resolution is to be living in a continuum it's not going to be over you know this this thing where you think you have closures like, you think you, you you know it's maybe five percent of what all the entire issue is is, uh-huh. is you're recognizing so just it's going to come to you and and you don't want it to hit you like a ton of bricks at, at inopportune moments we're also sure. going to be paralyzed and in a social or professional or any type of setting. Uh, that's not what you, you got to do. See, so you, you know, you, you don't want to carry it around, but you also have to. You have to live your life, you know. And, yeah. You know, you have to do that. So I think that's one of the things that uh, dealing with that this type of uh, um, oppression, marginalization, uh, and a, a trauma that you had with other people. It doesn't serve you in any way to make to make this a predominant.
1: I think it's great that when, like when you can channel it into art and and or uh, you know artists who've experienced these these kinds of traumas, queer artists or any artists. Um, when you're able to take those traumas and like turn them into stories, turn them into art and to films and to books um, and to shows, uh, comedy, then um, that, and that alone can be incredibly healing, and it's a way to share the experience in a way that's not a, a burden to other people, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be. You're to be.
1: sharing. You're sharing. You're turning. You're channeling it into into. Especially
0: if you could show you know, what's what, what something that people can take a lot easier, than... Even. yeah. But it
1: also could be moving and healing to them if yeah. the yeah. and then then they relate to it and and like see themselves and like oh wow I. I that resonates with me because I've had a similar experience and and, you know I I feel like connected to I, this to this artist to this film or to whatever it is
0: yeah yeah because you know the, the thing is for so many people is uh, they need someone to address this in a way that they can digest it and and and, and, and take it in uh, oh, that makes sense to them that it crystallizes it's, 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 it's something that uh, they can deal with as opposed to being flooded with a whole load of um, emotion and uh, other issues that are corollary to this is sure. start off giving people a, an idea, of, uh, you know, that's a beautiful part of that comedy, it, you know, it like crystallizes uh-huh. you know, the, the essence of something and you get it. You, know?
1: uh-huh. as as uh-huh.
0: you get it. And uh-huh. I think that's, that's what a lot of people try to do. And, then
1: you know, using using your trauma as material for art—that's a different thing.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> uh, to find a fine way to channel your experience and and to do something that uh, other people can relate to, and you, you're, you're you're telling a great story—that's uh, one thing. Uh, so, uh, next question is: the strongest bond forged—personal, professional, social.
1: Well, between my husband and this cat over here, Mm. (laughs) yeah. I mean, I'm sure you understand as a married man, um, you know that kind of bond when you choose to marry someone is enormous. I mean, I mean, people, people also marry for superficial reasons, or they they marry when. there isn't that much of a bond there, but but um for me, uh, it was a it was a sixteen year relationship, so really? long longest relationship yeah. in my life and uh, adult relationship and um, and yeah,
0: yeah so, well, my dad had a saying uh, and my family. But that's he'd be he'd be a uh, hundred if he was alive this year, uh, and he's every time any of my sisters got engaged, he told all my brothers-in-law, uh, no backsies, and uh-huh. we all believe in that. So oh, all six of us were married. Six, uh, I have, have two sisters, one just passed, and two brothers. We're all married, and uh, we are people who, uh, you know, we you're in it once you you know you're married so you know uh, for better for worse so or for whatever it is uh, yeah some of them have uh we all have uh, ups and downs but uh, uh the the experience of being committed to somebody I, I, in us instilled in us it's I'm not, i can't speak for everybody you know but uh, because we know plenty of people who, uh I, I me personally i could not believe um when i came in uh when I first moved into the city uh, at a meeting, I was the only person who was not the child of divorce. You know? And uh, I think that's just something that, you know, my, my friends that I grew up with, Oh, everybody's married, stays married. We've, they've been married you know, for an excess of, uh, uh, 35 years. Yeah. Uh, it's just that like we, just the way we, we grew up, how, how we just happened to have this, this thing. Well, there was a few divorces around us, you know, but, it, but for the most part, uh, uh, we grew up with parents that stay with each other and that was just the, the, the thing is that you know it was a very functional marriage. Yeah,
1: even though it's a common, it's very common now, it's still um it's still traumatic for a child to experience divorce of their parents. It's very like my husband had he experienced that. I my parents are still married. Um but my husband, I, I, I was his second marriage, actually. So it's, it's, um, sadly will be his second divorce, I guess. Um, but yeah, this, this, the whole, like, it's more, more than half, I think more than half of marriages end in divorce. So it is kind of a miracle when they do succeed and, and. Not only because the people are just af- afraid to leave each other, but because they truly are happy together.
0: Yeah, and uh, the thing that got me so was so much, uh, was struck me so much, so much it, was a, it was such a common theme uh, was um, uh, not realizing how you place your parents on a pedestal, and then when when when, when the, they, they're divorced, that kind of evaporates. And they they have a completely different disposition towards either or both of their parents, than they had when they were together, and uh, huh. and say these things. It was I was so taken just by by how could you say you know my father's a jerk or you uh, uh. kind of come around or you know what he did to my mom or or you know people talking about uh, substance abuse issues or whatever it is. And they're very, very matter of fact about it. It's was something that we would never be brought up and, and apply a conversation with me growing up. And uh, they're so used to this. They're so jaded and uh, they get used to this at a young age. So they have a completely different um, experience than I did. And I had, I guess, much more of a babe in the woods until I was, uh, you know, over 30. You know, I, I didn't have uh-huh. it, was, it was something that I, I had to... Uh, I had to deal with. I had to actually acclimate to the idea that so many people were children of divorces. I mean, we talk about, you know, holidays going one to one and having to go to another and then issues that they had with their parents that um, I never had with my parents. My parents were very very accepting and they were loving until until the end and uh, and they were great to me and uh, I, I didn't have any of those issues and they all talk about stuff that's just... I, it's so melodramatic to me you know that, that they had to go through this and they still it's an ongoing thing and I never well I guess now a lot of people have uh you know parents have deceased you know because everyone's getting on getting on like or, or somebody has gone uh, but uh, just the idea that the, you don't you don't view your parents and in, in very traditional uh uh view that kids were brought up to, to think of and uh, one of those things that I just, it just struck me so hard. I couldn't get over that they, they were uh, uh, so dismissive of, of their parents new partner or um, they didn't. Um, they knew far more about their parents' uh, parents uh, foibles than uh, we knew until they got older. Huh. Uh, you know you you know about uh you know the, the dad dad likes to gamble, dad cheats you know you know and stuff. they would i would never ever hear this stuff in conversation and they were you know by the time they were eighteen years old, their parents had been divorced for six years, and they were used to like you know what do you
1: what... think that that made made them more cynical about about marriage for themselves? or
0: commit commitment, some, 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 not some, some very, mm-hmm. uh, very happy to and eager to uh, be, they, they found the right person. And yeah, they, uh, the woman and I told you about her son was in, so, was so tormented. Uh, She's a child of divorce and uh, uh, she met the guy she was, she was in love with at a young age and they they were together and uh, they've been married for well, at least 30 years. Wow. And, and they're very happy and, and, and other yeah. You know, they had a very—you know—it's a matter of—they are cynical. Yeah. You know, they—they are—they are—they are. different.
1: It affects everyone differently.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You, you know. So, next question is: What is your quest—the thing you must do at one point in your life, above all else?
1: Yeah, above all else is to 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 write. All of the stories that I have in my head, at least that are in my head right now, um, novels, um, other, I mean, I'm sure I'll have more ideas uh, when I'm older, but just to to manifest as many of them as possible while I'm on this earth.
0: Do you think of the story having having a, a, being a complete story when you start writing, or do you do you just start and and see where you're going? Uh, we're in the middle of that
1: If it's purely fiction, like not really inspired by my life experience, then that has a little bit more mystery to it, um, but I do tend to to write like my fiction is often inspired by life experience and so I am able to see like the whole arc of the story but it's just more about how is it going to be structured or how will it be fictionalized um and you know what is you know connecting all the pieces together you know that's that's more about the process. Um, that's that's what the process is for me.
0: I thought, you know, I was thinking of that watching the different parts of, of the film, uh, especially um, uh, when you were, the characters were in the, the documentary setting and yeah. coming from uh, the parties and, and then going back to the personal life. And there's a juxtaposition there. And I, I was you know curious as to how you formulated the idea is to present this mm. and this because uh, I, I don't know if this came from uh, your experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, parallels between me and Veronica are that you know, Veronica is a blogger, sex relationship blogger, writes about her experiences. I, I did write a column actually, which you mentioned at the beginning our, of our interview. Um, I, I, yeah, so you know, took the whole column thing and updated it to blog. Um, you know, some of the other characters are based on on people I've known, people I was in relationships with, and and like Veronica loves cats like I do. There there are a lot of parallels for sure. Um you know, I was never part of a documentary, so that's complete fiction. Um, although there was there was a time when uh, there was a documentary filmmaker who who shot a little like a sample scene that she was gonna pitch to some networks or something, and I was a part of that. It was a, a bunch of polyamorous people at At an in someone's backyard, and so that that experience inspired the the whole documentary subplot. So I just I just took that little experience and expanded
0: it. um, I'm also curious as to um, you know, in in, in, you're telling the story. There's got to be certain mechanics, and, and there's certain points that you use to expand or continue the story. So when you get to that point, uh, when you, 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 to move to move the story forward in your mind when you're writing uh, uh, and you you're drawing on personal experiences, uh, I, I, the, how do you integrate that is always it, it, fascinating to me how someone is able to do this because you know you, you know I always think of the John Patrick Shanley telling the story about how easy it is to write a fairy tale. It's like Cinderella had two had two mean cruel cool sisters and that's it. And you accept it it goes on. And like, you, 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 but it makes the motor, the motor of the story has to keep on going. It's like the Michael Curtiz and Sam Wood thing. When you make a movie, just like start off and keep going. Don't explain, just keep going.
1: Well, Uh, just having film school, like all of my education um, um, helped a lot with that. And like understanding story structure and like what works in narrative um, uh, is not always realistic or, or, you know, y- you have to take the truth from the reality and apply it to the narrative. But when, you know, how things tend to play out in, in, in real life are not as, a, um, compelling to watch, um, on, on screen. So it's like, you know, in terms of, um, timeline like how and the, the the pace of of scenes or um maybe it's you know more so and how conflicts uh, escalate like in real life you have two people sitting like how we are chatting for you know over an hour and um and there's a lot of digression there's there um and you know, there's if if we were to put this in a movie and, and and you know the audience would be like, what is this about? I don't understand. And <laughs> you uh, know, like, where's the conflict? It. Yes, it, it, where's it, the it, where are the stakes? Where's the conflict? So just like knowing all this and having outside feedback as I was working on the on the script and and then also um, during the editing of the film, that's a whole other story. That you know. From the story that was in the screenplay, is not the same story that that y- you saw on the screen, as there were changes made um, in the in the editing process. We actually had to shoot additional scenes after the initial production happened in 20 was it 2017, and then in 2018 we shot a whole other week of uh, a couple of new scenes some new scenes because we realized that there were some holes in the narrative that were not apparent uh, in the screenplay.
0: And like, I, I always know. think that people don't have to know what's on your mind, as long as you, yeah. the story and the high points, and the low points, it's like, you yeah. have to know everything else, you, you know, and, 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 but they do have to know how to follow the story.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you can, you can, you can leave out, uh, a lot of the uh, what what led up to because you know everything is you know that's what jump cuts are for like to, to go to the next thing you know uh, uh, but you know when a scene ends a scene ends you don't have to explain what happens between the, the end of the scene until until the next one people are going to say either time has passed or something has happened and then when you go to the next scene it, it,
1: right as long as the audience is able to make the connections. And and they won't be lost. Yes.
0: So um, so I want to keep it too much longer. I was going to go, to go to get a few more questions. Is there anything you would change about a y- yourself for a for you or b for another?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I'm just working on. Um, just working on healing. Um. A lot of myself right now, and just things that have held me back in my life that have uh, affected my relationships and aspects of myself that, um, need to be healed from, you know, old traumas and, um, yeah. And I, my relationship to money. Um, but I don't think, I don't, think there's anything worth changing for another person um i think that if someone else wants me to change something about myself then that's not a person i want to be with um unless it's like a it's it's not like an aspect of me but but more like a like a habit or something like that i i would be willing to look at and see if i could uh adjust it for the other person. Uh, like for instance, I have the tendency to be late. And um but it's not, it's you know, it's not it's not like a part of my it's not like asking to change, like um like oh I don't I don't really I don't like that you that you you sit in a room and write. I don't really want you to do that. No way. I wouldn't change that. Or I need you to give up your cats. No, I would not change that. Like things like that. No. Um, but if it's like, you know, I get, it really bothers me. Um, when, when you're, you're, you're late to meet me or like, we have to go somewhere together and you're always late. That was a problem in my marriage actually. And, um, I tried. It's very hard to to break this habit. You know, it's a lot easier to arrive on time to virtual meetings because I don't have to, you know, get ready, get dressed, get my stuff together and track the amount of time it takes to travel somewhere and all of that stuff.
0: I, I completely understand. Uh, and I, I'm unlikely to... Uh change something inherent about me uh, uh if there are things that are uh, uh an acquired habit that i uh, i'm unaware of or uh, i can do to improve the situation and uh, you know, and it's usually something you know i'm doing something irritating <laughs> or, or i'm unconsciously unaware of you know I, I, right I, it's not something that that really isn't really that important in I. You know, or like
1: communication too like you know if i'm communicating in a way that's too aggressive or you know, that's not kind, you know, things like that. Yeah. I'm willing to change
0: self-awareness and self-improvement. I think, yeah, the things I could do, you know, uh, but, uh, okay. So, um, would you say you are more freewheeling or structured?
1: More free will. more freewheeling in general, but, but also, but I was, I think I'm more structured than my husband because that was another conflict in our relationship. He was too freewheeling, like just all over the place, scattered. And that, that's really, uh, we have a lot of conflict about that. Um, and so, like I'm freewheeling and in a lot of ways, and, and I, I'd say in my attitudes, um, my openness toward relationships and sexuality, and uh, I love adventurous travel like being spontaneous um but you know it's like liberal politics um but in terms of my my daily life I'm more structured like I have my little routines you know
0: yeah I uh I I found out myself uh I never thought myself but I, I used to refer to myself as a soul of practicality uh, at a job I had because I've discovered that I had uh, the ability to get a whole lot more accomplished uh, by having a routine that I would stick to and uh, I never thought that that was really going to be something that I would uh, I would be in you know consciously you know, employing and even though I think of myself as somebody who prefers smart today and uh, uh, I, and I do on um, but also at the same time you know due to experiences, you know, once bitten twice twice shy, that that happens in some some ways, you know. And uh, I, I think that the uh, there's a balance. I wish I knew how to to strike. you know, So I tend to tend to be a little bit more, especially having cooked for such a long time you, you know that's structure. Oh and, yeah, you know you, you, you know you know what you have to do in order for, to get something done. And I also say in order to a lot because I because it, people don't think that something they think, a lot of people always think things take care of themselves They're like no
1: they don't. <laughs> oh the timing the timing of, of cooking is very important if you if you mess up the timing of the yeah. um, structure then things get burned or they they <laughs> don't get cooked properly yeah
0: and you, you, it, it's it's very analogous to construction work it, you know mm. just it's just you have to you're putting things together But uh, that's something that I never, ever thought of myself until much later uh, uh, in my life. And then it it, it occurred to me that uh, I I actually I thrive doing things structured, Uh, even though I've I've had this, you know, spur of the moment type of thing. You know, uh, in my mind, I am that person. I'm a free spirit.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. um, what is now? This is the good one too because I've had this too. This has been. This has been. People have given me so many specific examples. Mm-hmm. What is the most grievous offense you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis? From all, under your skin, a rudeness, sloppiness, carelessness, something you have no room for. In your mental landscape, the thing that irks you. Some someone not closing your door or repeatedly mispronouncing something, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. I I get really uh, annoyed with people who. Uh, who are on their phones, who talk on their phones in public places, like um, in trains or buses, in public transportation, uh, maybe in restaurants or cafes, but more like public transportation, where they're having a really loud business call or personal call as if, as if they're by themselves in the bathroom, you know, or in the, in, in their, in their own home, just, just, uh or in their office no they they make the public place their office and they don't care how loud they are how long the conversation is and that really irks
0: me elevators is the one that gets you know, yeah Elevators is like we all have we're we all in this meeting there oh okay <laughs> you know uh, I, and also
1: people people who don't turn their phones off in theaters and they text in theaters and don't realize that the light of their phone is really bright and distracting from the screen. Like <laughs> that really Ah, oh, I hate that.
0: I had one one of my friends I interviewed him. He uh, he uh works at Astor Place and uh he would go someplace for lunch every day and he would see uh people who deliberately uh parked in a no parking zone and uh-huh. it, graphic jams, and it just got him, it just got so under his skin to yeah. see them come into this, this place to get lunch, and they left this thing out there, and they were so inconsiderate, and it just, it made his blood boil, so, you know, yeah, you know? same thing
1: with me in a theater, like, I I will go up to people and, and, and ask them to, to turn their phones off, or to turn the light down, or to hide their phone, because I I get I it really distracts me like I get fixated on it and then I can't um, it it takes my attention away from from the show whether it's a a play this has happened um, in theaters like live theater and also movie theaters more so in movie theaters people having the lights on their phones texting I'm like why are you here? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't understand that either. I mean, I don't understand people who, who who feel the important need to text while they're crossing the street. Oh yeah, that that this, is... This is. I just I, I have to be this. I have to be the hall monitor because I'm walking down the sidewalk. I'm walking down the sidewalk, and they're not paying attention where they're going, and you're yeah. going straight into me.
1: Yeah,
0: put that thing down. And also, when you're online, and like yeah. Trader Joe's. It's like if you put that thing down, I don't know why you want to be here for longer. Just put yeah. That yeah, and we'll get out of here real, real fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Making this some sort of ordeal. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, that's, that's something that there's always something that gets by bothers people. That's one of my things. Or, of course, you, you know, uh, um, other people get in your way where you're trying to look for the train on the subway. You know, oh, yeah. and, and my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So um, what is your abiding passion? What do you care about most?
1: I mean, making art, <laughs> I think I think this is a theme um, with a lot of my answers is to uh, fulfilling my purpose, which uh, I believe is is to um, take my my suffering and and turn them into stories and and art that moves people and maybe makes a difference and somehow and in small ways in people's lives and
0: i can tell you your film really stuck with me you know it, i just i just saw that there was there was uh, people who had uh, a certain amount of anguish and uh and both daniel and veronica's characters and i felt real empathy for both of them but at the same time i also felt a oh, little daniel I, I, I was i was like you know suffering but you're you're we're all our own worst enemies i think you know and and he 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 showed that because he to me you know uh he was being his own worst enemy not realizing that he had to come to grips with things because he didn't seem to understand that the consequences of his actions right were, were making him be uh alone was driving him away from people
1: yeah, that's why they're, they're ultimately mismatched, because she has far more experience than him with polyamory. And she's almost uh, at the other end where she's questioning, like, do I even want to keep doing this? I, I don't know. I don't know what I want. And um, and he's just starting. And, uh, yeah, it's all about he's very, it's very young about it. It's like. Yeah. yeah.
0: And he was—he—he didn't have a um, an ethic a, a defined for himself. I think. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so of course, I'm going to ask you, and I pretty much have an answer. Um, tell me about your relationship with the animal kingdom.
1: Oh, <laughs> I am a huge animal lover, and and of course, cats are my are my spirit animal, and um, but I. I love all animals. I grew up with a dog. Uh, I had a rabbit, um, got married at the Bronx Zoo, um, <laughs> and traveled to um, Thailand, Africa, where I've seen elephants and lions, and I'm, I'm going to uh, Kenya again uh, in, in May. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love... Wild wildlife. Very interested in um, wildlife conservation and how you know climate change is affecting these animals and that are that may go extinct in her lifetime. It's so sad to me
0: i um i actually uh, i went to fordham and i lived about uh four or five blocks from the bronx zoo and in those days tuesdays wednesdays and thursdays the bronx zoo was free and i used to go to the bronx zoo every tuesday wednesday and thursday oh wow yeah. and i've been there over 200 times and uh i i this friend with that uh, the elephant uh, that they were trying to, to uh stop. happy i know her oh and um she used to come over to me because i would come up with a bag of chips and she would just ignore everybody else come right over to me and she would nod. And she, would, she was able to take the tip of her trunk and flip it into my my bag and suck out chips. Oh my gosh. So, and she's every time she saw me and she would let me pet her pet her trunk. And wow. Yeah. And uh, I had hadn't been there in seven years and I didn't realize, just I was so unconscious and it was so immature. Came back, I came back and well, she came right over to me again. Wow. And, Yes. They
1: they have they have very uh powerful memories. Yes, they elephants. Do. Yeah, and they they grieve when they when a family member dies. Uh, they they have very strong like family structures, and I I see I've seen like a, a tremendous number of elephants like all at a watering hole where I was actually very close to them, and this was in Z- Zimbabwe where, um, I was with a group and we went into this little shelter, this, you know, this little wooden shelter that was, you know, completely open, um, but right near this watering hole and hundreds, hundreds of elephants came. So we saw uh, the biggest males, like, you know, like feet, just a mirror, like 10 feet away, like swaying their trunks, like smelling us. And, and like little babies and they were all drinking and, and just like observing their, their interactions with each other. And they, um, and I they and I, I mean like people, people don't um, realize how important these animals are to the earth.
0: The thing that got me most recently was seeing an entire herd of elephants coming back to the same spot every year to honor yeah. them to save them. And yeah. They, they they would come back. And yet, yeah. like, how do they know? How do they know right. to come back every year? And how do they and and it was just to honor this this guy who saved their lives. And yeah. Wow, that's amazing.
1: I think they I think they know more than a lot of people think. Like that they are spiritual beings and not only sentient beings, but they're spiritual beings and and they um you know they are intuitive and i know that my my cat like if i'm going through something if i have anxiety about something it's like she knows it before i i'm even aware of it yeah, yeah. She, she starts to act act up and and um reflects and mirrors what 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 like my emotion so
0: That's, i'm always
1: fascinated by that
0: yeah yeah uh, i'm a big animal lover too and uh, uh, i think that the uh, uh, the shame I also was friendly with that with a giraffe too believe it or not oh wow yeah it
1: yeah was, I fed some giraffes and
0: they're so cool they, they, they yeah. just just walk over to you and very back silence and they just come over to you and they, they acknowledge you and you're like wow this is the coolest thing and just I just you know you you're a communion with them and you, you just you just gives you a, just a profound uh, different take from that moment on when, when you you become friends with an animal yeah can't speak to you and they you know you can't they can't do you any good and they're they're still like you you know and like you you, the only thing you you are the the obligation to to
1: and we're we're the only species that has the power to to change the course of of the planet like they they are they were here um they they've occupied land and and they've like they they've, the crisis that we're in now they didn't cause it <laughs> humanity did and then but we are the only ones that have the power to to alter that course and they're like at our mercy and that's just it's, i get depressed about this sometimes
0: you no know, like all the koalas in, in australia
1: yeah yeah
0: i burnt it like you know they, you know it just and so many, it's it's just it just kills me to see them, and um, the uh, just just uh, the cruel inhumanity to to yeah, inhumane, and uh, that just bothers me so much uh, about people. I don't understand how you could, but then I can understand people. You know, you, you, that translates into how you treat other people. You that's know.
1: true. It's not it's not just about animals. Like it's 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 a, it's a sign and how how a person treats an animal is a reflection on uh, yeah. what kind of human being they are and with human beings.
0: If they, can't, if they can't do anything, you know, the best I ju- judge of for character is how you treat people who can't help you.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure,
0: sure. So it's if if they, like if they, if they are not in the position or able to do and you, you can't get, gain anything from them, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. how you treat them is is real uh, uh mm-hmm. who you are to me uh, yes. and uh, i think that uh, the cruelty is unbelievable but also uh i still eat meat and i still have to uh reconcile that and, and, and yeah
1: that's a tough one yeah i've tried uh veganism it's, it's hard for me i'm mostly vegetarian and um pescatarian but i i don't i don't eat uh you know poultry sometimes um I'm very selective with that and um, avoid dairy but I'm, I'm not I'm not so strict that uh I'm not a strict vegan but yeah. kind of lean lean toward plants more
0: <laughs> I uh I, I used to throw uh I uh, I, had, I used to have these, these parties which I was pretty well known for uh Christmas parties I, I work at and when I worked at NBC and uh, one year I did the first year the, the, the party was a real smashing success. Uh, I had just put out all the food and I turned around and I saw all of these friends of mine who I worked with who were Hindu and I saw a look on their face because <gasps> and I was like, Oh you idiot. Ah uh, yeah. You,
1: you,
0: so that struck it like a lightning bolt and then mm-hmm. I, I Consciously made sure that I made vegetarian and vegan food, and just
1: to have the option there.
0: Yeah. When I I would make a uh, huge mounds of chili uh, uh, nachos for people. At one point, they they, I, they they I was made sure to ask you're making this again, right? And I was <laughs> so Flattering then that, that to be asked by people who don't eat meat. To, to make sure and, I, and I, I did a whole load of things that were, uh, you know, called stuff it was easy. It's, it's, and it's actually more challenging actually, you know, to to, to, to come up with something and understand, mm. you, you know, how to cook some. Uh, yeah. To prepare anyway. Yeah. So the last question is, uh, is there anything that comes effortlessly, effortlessly to you which is considered impressive to others?
1: Hmm. I don't think this was one of my questions, but um, is anything that comes effortlessly to me that's impressive to others, uh, maybe like speaking French.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. my husband would love to talk to you. He's been studying for the last four or five years. He loves it. He just loves uh-huh. it I have a conversation. Also, having been in the restaurant business, we know a lot of people are French in Belgium. So. Mm-hmm. Just, he, he just has conversations with them and they're correcting him or they're telling him that he's very good or, you know, he, and he loves to speak French. So that, that's special.
1: Yeah, I, um, I studied it and studied in France and I, I, I became pretty fluent. I was fluent. I, I still have a fluency, but uh, I've lost a lot of vocabulary because I, I'm not speaking it. I'm not practicing it, but um, I'm still... Able to be fluent in, in and um, when I do speak it, and apparently, I mean the French tell me that I have really good accent. So,
0: great. Uh, <laughs> I was fluent in German at one point, and then I lost that altogether. You know, I, I've had conversational German with a few people are very kind. You know, and they put up with. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not nowhere near any, any of that. So uh, that takes us to the end of of, of the questions, and as at the end. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: Um, just that my film is available to watch on multiple VOD platforms. So um, please check it out. Um, you can go to lustlifelove.com and there, there are links there that will take you to the platforms where you can rent or buy the film. And um, also on, uh, you can follow me on social media at the underscore Stephanie Sellers on Instagram and uh, Less Life Love movie on Facebook and um, uh, Stephanie Sellers on Facebook as well. And yeah, so thanks for having me on on the show. It was a, it was a delight. So many great questions that, that um, you know, turned into very interesting questions. Uh, You know, like these questions, just you never know where they're going to take you. Right.
0: Just. Well, thank you very much. I'm very flattered. And uh, once again, thank you. I'm going to close as I always do. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out.